And so I think that losing a parent at any time is difficult. And I think losing a parent when you're young is a particularly painful experience. I was 28 when he died. And so I know that there's so many people who have lost people much younger, much younger than that. And I still sometimes anger, but more sadness that I didn't have as much time as I thought I was going to have with my father. And I don't know what's more painful thinking that I'll never see him again because nothing happens after I die or if it's going to be a long, long time until I see him again. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Well, hi, Savannah. Welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate the topic that you offered to come on the show and discuss today because I think it is a probably pretty common fear for a lot of students, and that is the death of a parent. And so I know for me, like the top five things I get really anxious about is it's on the list for me. Um, I have not lost any of my parents yet. And that is a really scary prospect to be in, in life without them. And so, yeah, I appreciate you being willing to come on and talk about this and would like to start out by asking you who died and how did they die? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, my father died and I was afraid of either of my parents dying for a long, long time before my father actually got sick. He died of sarcoma cancer in May of 2019. During that time, it felt like a really long time, but as I look back on it now, it wasn't very long at all. I became aware of him being sick in August of 2018. And then, so just with less than a year later, he had died. And we're recording this in December of 2020. So just about a year and a half ago, he died. Okay. Yes. So, um, yeah, fairly recently. Sarcoma cancer is a really rare and strange and intense disease. And so my father was very... He had his head in the sand in the beginning and went to see the doctors a little too late. Although no matter what point he had went to see the doctors, it would have ended the same. He had surgery in December of 2018 to remove the tumor and started chemo the following year. In April of 2019, he had lost the functioning of his arm due to the cancer metastasizing. And part of that metastasis was to his brain. And then he entered hospice in May and then passed at the end of May. Wow. So it sounds like a 
pretty brutal deterioration, like very painful. Yes. Yes. It was excruciating to watch. I used to be really, really afraid of death before this whole process, like many years. I would have my own existential crisis, but I didn't realize until this journey with my dad that there truly are things worse than death and that this was one of those things. I'm so struck by that statement and also like acutely aware that we're also recording this at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, which hopefully there will come a time when that doesn't mean as much to people as it does right now. But just the incredible and gruesome loss of people all over the world, loved ones. Yeah. And usually not being able to be there while they are deteriorating and dying quite quickly from COVID. Yes. Yeah. I'm also aware that a large part of my story is how much contact I was able to have with my dad and connection. And for anyone who has lost loved ones during the pandemic, that not being available um, is its own difficult piece of this that I can't, I don't, I'm not sure how I would navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. So you really watched him suffer. Yes. Yes. I'm curious about your relationship with him, Savannah. And I know that's a complicated question for all of us with our parents, but I wonder about some key themes or highlights that might be helpful to talk about. Yeah, I think it's definitely helpful to put it into context because everyone has a different relationship with their parents in life, but also in their death, whatever that may look like. And my father and I's relationship was not always easy or there. I have experienced most of my relational trauma with my father. And what I mean by that is when I was six, my parents got divorced and my father moved out. My parents ended up eventually remarrying each other. And so we were all together again. But when I was 16 years old, my father attempted suicide. And then between I want to say 16 and 25, my father and I didn't have very much of a relationship. It's not, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it estrangement or active hatred. It was more just disconnected. I would make attempts to connect with him and he wouldn't be able to receive them or I mean I don't know what was going on for him or he would make attempts to connect with me and I wouldn't want to do that at that time and so um, shortly before his death I want to say in 2017 I actually started making we were more on the the same orbit at that time of trying to connect with each other Um, and so I'm very thankful for that kind of timing to be able to really fully connect to each other while he was dying. That was, I don't know what it would have been like if that hadn't happened that way. And you know, I just described how horrible it it was for him to have a process of dying, but my mother and I talk so often about how if he had died suddenly, 
in a car accident, however, I would have had a lot of questions about our relationship. I would have had a lot of unfinished business if it had happened that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting possibility. And it's it's not a given that a longer death process can lead to potentially some healing between people, which I, I know is something that happened with you and your, your father. Mm-hmm. So it's not a given that, you know, having a prolonged deterioration will lead to that kind of healing, but it is, it is a possibility. And yeah, yeah, we don't, um, when we get the quick, hopefully more painless death, we don't have a chance to say goodbye in the same way. Yes. Yes. And I, um, I said goodbye to my father so many times, so many times, which is a little painful in its own way. And I would, I would rather choose that for me. I would rather choose that than not being able to say goodbye. Um, I was, my mom and dad were in South Florida at the time and I was here in Gainesville, of course. And so almost every weekend I was driving back down just to spend time with him and my mom and my aunt, his sister. And every time I would have to drive back, I would have to say goodbye. And I wouldn't know if it was the last time or not. Um, Yeah. Tell me about some of the conversations that you and your father had um, bedside. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was just about random little things like what was on the television or that there was blueberries in the pancakes that morning that were just so fresh. But I would ask him, are you sad that you're probably going to miss my wedding? I was planning on getting married later that year. And at the time that I asked him that, it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to make it. And I can't remember the exact words he said, but that wasn't the most particularly sad part because he he had such an acceptance of what was happening. Not to say that he wasn't mad or angry or wish it hadn't been happening, but he was just very aware of the facts that he wasn't going to make it to my wedding, but he was here with me now. I asked him what he thought would happen after he died because I haven't made my mind up about what happens, but I was curious for him and he shared some of his beliefs about reincarnation and spirituality. And that brought me a lot of comfort because he didn't sound afraid of what was going to happen next. Like we, I watched, we didn't explicitly talk about this at the time, but I watched my father go through this process with such grace and there wasn't a lot of fear or terror or angst. I made sure to not ask my father about any regrets that he had. And so I think it's important what you do talk about and what you do not talk about. 
because I didn't want those things to haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's so interesting. You didn't want your dad's regrets to haunt you. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that throughout my relationship with him over my life, I was very acutely aware of his own pain, his own depression, his own shortcomings. Not that he told me, but I'm, I am just a very empathic person and I could just sense those things in him. And I did not want to, I knew my father carried regrets and carried that pain. And I did not want to have like a memory stamped with those on it. It was almost like the imprint of his pain had impacted you enough already. Yes. Yes, exactly. And maybe even like your role with him had already been complicated enough by his pain. Yes, I would say so. I would say so. You said a couple things that I want to go back to and one, I'll put them both out. We could go, which, which was everyone you want, but one was the suicide attempt when you were 16. Um, that Mm -hmm. strikes me as a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And the second is just, you said that he was, he really wanted to be present with you, um, towards the end. And, and that sounds like the exact opposite (laughs) of some of the other ways that he was in your life when you were growing up? Absolutely. That's something that my mom and I talk about and are so thankful for was that he, surprisingly to both of us, wanted to be fully present and wanted to fight the cancer. He struggled with drinking throughout his life. And so he had been drinking recently. My parents had been living separately. And as his health was declining, my mom asked him to move in with her. And her, her rule was to, you, you can't drink in my house. My mom herself is in recovery. And so that was pretty clear. And he had no issues. He moved in, he stopped drinking. And I asked him, I said, dad, how are you? How's it living with mom? How, how's it not drinking? And he's like, it's great. I don't want to be drinking right now. I want to be present with everything. I don't need that. And I thought, whoa, because if I'm struggling with alcohol and I have a cancer diagnosis, I could just drink myself until I die. Like people make that choice. And I was just really glad that my father didn't make that choice. Yes. Throughout my life, my father was always tender and kind, but in his own world at times. And I remember when I would visit, I'd sit down on the couch and my father would sit down right next to me and hold my hand. And I was like, oh, I know my father's dying because he's never been this close to me since before he tried to kill himself. And so that was a gift, a gift. I remember that day we were sitting on the couch and I was just crying. I, yeah, I was just overwhelmed and sad. And I told him, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry that I'm crying and I'm so sorry that I'm sad. And he said, no, I'm just so happy that you came to see me. You can be sad and you can cry. And it was just, I know, it was just, I felt completely accepted in that moment that all he wanted was for me to be there and for me to show up and it, it, it was okay. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I saw my own father yesterday. We have not seen each other much during the pandemic, even though he lives very close to me because he has all of the vulnerable medical conditions and would be dead in days if he catches this thing. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about the card that I wrote him yesterday for Christmas, where I just told him that we've had a complicated relationship, but we really know each other. And that that, has been such a gift that not even death can take away is the gift of like really seeing one another. And it hasn't been easy uh, many times. I think to really know somebody else and see somebody else is to see things that aren't easy to look at and be, you know, intimate with, but that it really I'm so glad that I can say that I deeply know my father and my father deeply knows me because I don't think that all parent child relationships have that kind of seeing. Yeah. And, and it, it seems like there was whatever was happening in your, in your dad's life when he attempted suicide was painful enough that he, you did lose contact with another. You lost closeness with one another. Yes, yes. For 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 like ten years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Like the kid, like the closeness was was ruptured, and and so to be able to like be that raw and vulnerable with each other at the end. Yes. So it powerful. Took a lot of work. Yeah. Tell me some about that work. Savannah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would say that I have been in therapy on and off since I was 16, since my father attempted suicide. I've been very lucky that my family has always been an advocate for counseling. Um, I, I know that many families are not, but my mom took me to see a counselor after that happened. And so I've seen various people at at different points and a lot of my work over those years was about my relationship with my father. And of course about how the divorce and the suicide attempt impacted how I experienced myself, which a whole bunch of different stuff, a different work that comes up with that. But Yes, you're exactly right that I lost, well, we both lost closeness after that. And I had like swore that I I never wanted to get close to my father again. Well, it's so risky. So risky. 
I started seeing a therapist right after I had seen him sick. Like you could just look at him and know something was not right. And I was like, okay, I need to go talk to a counselor. And um, I was able to see her throughout this process and after, and, and most of our work was really remembering how much I love my father and how I've like protected myself from that love throughout my life and how bittersweet love is and scary love is. Oh, I feel that so deeply. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is so much easier on some level to just build up protection. Oh, yeah. Because love, I mean, it's cheesy, but like, absolutely love hurts. Absolutely. There's no way to experience love without loss. And that's the scariest part. And whether that is imagined, like, forecasting of loss of, like, one day this relationship will end. I think about that specifically with my, like, romantic relationships. Like, one day we'll break up or I'll die or you'll die or however that story ends. It will end. And so, yeah, for a long time, I was like, I'm not going to love my father. I'm not going to love a partner. I'm not, I will never again feel that level of pain. Which is understandable. Yeah. Yes. So how surprising then to get to the end with your dad and let it, you know, pierce the crap out of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And to feel your heart opening again. Yeah. Yes, it was a complicated time. All of the emotions. But gratitude, most of all. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Mm -hmm. As he was dying, did you all talk about the suicide attempt? No. That was I did not bring that up. Yes. I did not want to touch that. It didn't feel, I didn't have any more questions about it. What did you have questions about that you were able to ask? I wanted to know how he felt and more about if he was sad that of what he might be missing out and he I don't know where this came from inside of him because my my father was not a religious man he was a spiritual man but also a a skeptic Um, but he did not he viewed death as part of life this was the next piece there was no resistance he didn't have any resistance to dying or this process of death of course did he wish it looked different that he had had more time 
of course i i wish that and there was no like getting out of death and so he didn't have that he had a um i felt to very reassured in his presence that dying itself wasn't something to be afraid of i remember we were in the middle of one of these conversations and his sister walked in and i was like dabbing my you know tears and we had to go somewhere and we walked out and he put his arm around me and I said, you know, I'm sad. And he's like, yeah, we can talk more about being sad later. I'm like, that's okay. You know, he was just an open book. The, <laughs> this always brings me a piece of joy. I asked him, I said, daddy, what are you doing with your time? You know, cause he had a bunch of time at the house. Like, he's just like, I just want to know more about tea. I've just wanted I've just wanted to read more books about it and, and drink more of it and just, just that like genuine loveliness about tea. I said, well, dad, why don't we go down to Morikami Park and we'll do a tea ceremony. You know, you can be in the tea. He said, no, 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 I don't want to be in it. I, I can just watch it. And I'm thinking, dad, you're dying. I will pay for you to be a part of that tea ceremony. <laughs> but um, we didn't do that and that was fine. But so, so, so big questions and little questions uh, all at the same time. It was precious. It feels so precious just to have a, have a glimpse of what this experience was like for both of you. I feel so touched, Savannah. And I'm sitting with like, I'm sitting with the power of you saying that you felt reassured that death isn't something you need to be terrified about. I could feel that still inside of you. Yeah. Yeah, my views about death have greatly changed. And I want to live a very long time. I have lots of things to do. And I have no control over that. And I do have, I still haven't made up my mind what happens after I die. But if there's something, I do believe he's there and he's made a place for me. And then again, if nothing happens, it's not my problem at that point. <laughs> you know, but he, um, when he was in hospice, he told my mother that his mother had been visiting him. And she said, when you were you mean you had dreams about her when you were asleep? And he said, no. And so it makes my heart full thinking that maybe daddy will come get me when it's my time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be okay. Yeah. yeah. I should be so lucky right. if that's how that happens. The word that keeps coming up for me um, is forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. Because it's like how, how you could set aside like all of your pain 
like maybe you didn't set it aside maybe that's not the right way to describe it but like you weren't interrogating him about Mm -hmm. his life choices and all the suffering that he caused you like you were not interrogating him on his Mm -hmm. deathbed which you know drug out over several months and like i just think i would be so tempted (laughs) oh yeah you know yeah that wasn't there and i'm not sure why I think a few years prior, I had done some work with a counselor. I had done a lot of work. I had had a lot of conversations about wanting more with my father, wanting to have a relationship, wanting to be connected. And um, the counselor so cleverly pointed out, well, you're not doing anything about it. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, I'm not doing anything about it. And the counselor was like, could it be that you, what you have right now is what you want, like is okay, kind of a little bit disconnected? And I said, yeah, you know what, that's, that's great. I'm good with that. And so I think I had accepted that I was going to have like a disconnected relationship with my father for the rest of my life and that would be fine. And so when the opportunity to have genuine connection came up I was so surprised and happy and grateful and all of that was too big the anger and resentment had just went out I don't have it now really because I mean I've had the thoughts of oh why didn't I mend my relationship sooner if I had known then what I know now? Or, oh, no, I am okay with how everything played out. I don't use the word very often, but um, sitting with you in this moment, I feel peace. Mm. yeah when I talk about my father in this time of our lives I also feel peace which is a strange thing to say given some of the details or context but I do I do also feel a, a quietness a stillness thinking about that or thinking about how I was at that time I'm thinking about people who don't get the chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't your experience. And, you know, thank God that wasn't your experience because, man, that would have left you with a lot of baggage yeah. um, to sort through all by yourself. And it strikes me as like you and your dad weren't really sorting through baggage at the end. You were just being with each other and mm-hmm. how beautiful that was and that that allowed some of that other like pain and scarring and stuff to begin to melt away. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is super cool because, again, I I think there were just so many surprises in this for you that you you couldn't have, like, manufactured or planned for 
And it came with watching him in terrible pain and the gruesome experience of losing functioning in his body. And like, it wasn't, you know, it was, it, it came at a cost. It came at a price. Yes. Um, And that was a very steep price, but one that it just sounds like ultimately like so, so, so worth it. Which is connected to what you're saying about love, is trying to figure out how to pay the very high price that we pay to really like let love in, which is that we will lose. Yeah. And we have no idea how we're going to lose. This was how you lost your dad. Who the hell knows how you're going to lose the next loved one right. in your life or how you're going to like lose your own life. We don't get to control that. And that can really drive up a lot of fear and anxiety um, for people. I, I think what one of the things that I appreciate about your story is that you discovered a capacity to open to this like incredibly intense experience with your father that you opened yourself to it. And I wonder just about that as relevant no matter what losses we're facing, whether they're sudden or gradual, that you discovered in yourself at some point in time the capacity to be open in the face of incredible pain and weren't able to open yourself for a long time. Mm-hmm. that both have been part of your journey, as I suspect, you know, they are for all of us in various ways, times in our life where we need to be more protective, where we need to take cover. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Everyone needs support. And sometimes something as simple as a letter can make a difference. UFCWC's Letters of Care campaign is a unique way for Gators to connect and receive compassion, support, and understanding from a fellow Gator. Once you submit your request for a letter, it will be anonymously sent to one of the UFCWC's Aware Ambassadors, who will write you back a letter of care within five to seven business days. It's your own personal Aware Care Bear. Request your letters at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash letters. Yeah, absolutely. I think about this is how my story played out and I wouldn't tell others you need to go be with your loved one that's dying because I don't know what they've lived through and I don't know that for them it might be more appropriate to stay away and not tell them things. And I don't get to say what someone should or should not do, right? And I think with the openness came a clarity to see things as they are inside of me. Like how much fear and anxiety I was experiencing during. You know, we were just talking about peace and there were moments of peace during, more peace afterwards, after he died. but during when I was just filled with anxiety and terror, I could see clearly that that was actually my love for my father and my value 
that I valued his presence in my life. And the only reason the anxiety and terror were there because were, those things were true. It goes back to the like, we can't have one without the other. Yeah, clarity is very painful, oftentimes, sometimes relieving, uh, but, but very painful. I think sometimes we're so af- afraid of our own fear, like the fear and the anxiety and the terror become problems with a capital P that we mm-hmm, think we need mm-hmm. to be able to get rid of those to be mm-hmm. okay. And the way that you're talking about it, which I, I, I think there's wisdom in the way that you're talking about it. And it's, it's hard won wisdom Mm-hmm. is that the the fear and the terror are there because of the love for life whether that's your own life your dad's yes. life yes and like i think even just with regular low level anxiety that seems like everybody these days has it's it's like man i'm anxious because i really want this to work out like i want things to go well or i'm really attached to living. I'm attached to this person or Mm -hmm. the way things are or a hope of how they could be. And that is maybe paradoxically connected to our love for life. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I would say so. Like our investment in it. Yes. That's a wonderful word. And investments come with the price tag. (laughs) I think what's coming up for me around the clarity as well and something I wanted to make sure that I shared for others who might lose a loved one, a parent, through a slow process is that at the end when he was in hospice, I, I wished he would die. I wanted him to go. I told him to go. And of course, while that was happening, I thought I was a horrible person. This is why am I, you know, wishing this? And, you know, mom and I talked about it and it's the clarity in that is I wanted his suffering to end. Absolutely. And so I just like want to say for people listening, like those thoughts are normal. Those thoughts don't mean anything more than you just want the suffering to end and that that's a way that it's going to end. You weren't trying to kill your dad. I was not. I was not. But what an intense thing to like go through is to experience yourself wishing that someone mm-hmm. you love, you know, profoundly would would die. Like mm-hmm. um, I could see how at the time that would be confusing to have that come up for you. Yes. Yes. We're also taught to like fear death so much and for death to be like this really scary boogeyman and, you know, that just to be like wanting, wanting that for someone is really different, but makes so much sense too, that you wanted him, you wanted him to experience relief from the suffering. And that at that point in the, in the process, there was no other kind of relief. No, once you're in hospice, things are pretty near the end. And so I just didn't want him to be suffering. And how much relief there is after I got the phone call that he had died. 
um, which might be also confusing for people. Just like, why should I be relieved when this thing I didn't want to happen happened? Oh, because they're no longer suffering. Also, I'm no longer suffering. I'm no longer thinking, is this the last time that I say goodbye to my father? Is this the last time we have this conversation? There's a completeness that might not be the right word. That struggle is over for everyone involved in some ways. And that it's okay to feel relief about that. It is okay to feel relief about that. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I suspect that someone might be tempted to feel guilty about mm-hmm. feeling that relief. Ashamed. I can't, I can't feel relief. Whatever's there is there and that's okay. I am so glad that you, that you added that to the conversation. Um, I'm curious kind of as we're nearing the end of this chat, what, uh, 16-year-old Savannah mm-hmm. would, um, I don't know, just I'm curious about the Savannah that you are today. How old are you, Savannah? I'm 29. You're 29. So almost half your life ago. Yeah. You know, if she, this the 16-year-old Savannah whose dad just attempted suicide, um, to this to this person that you have grown into, if you could have passed a message back to her at that time. Mm. Don't be afraid to care. And I can't credit myself with that. Those are Pink Floyd lyrics. With that song, that song is what popped into my head. And I said, oh yeah. That's beautiful. Now I'm going to have to go listen to that song. Yeah, it's Speak to Me, Breathe. Okay. Yeah. Don't be afraid to care. Yeah, that song has a lot of uh, wisdom in it. Anything you would want to add? What does that feel? I think there's one piece that I would like to add, and it came after. It was about six months after my dad had died. And I was um, driving late at night and Rocket Man came on the radio. And then, you know, I, I love Elton John. I was singing. And, you know, he's like, and I think it's going to be a long, long time. Da-da. And it hit me. Oh, it's going to be a long, long time until I see my father again. If, if that is what happens. I'm 29. I'm, a, I'm about to be 30 in a few days. And. Fingers crossed, I live a long, long, long life. I will, I will probably live more years without my father than I have him. And so I think that losing a parent at any time is difficult. And I think losing a parent when you're young is a particularly painful experience. I was 28 when he died. And so I know that there's so many people who have lost people much younger, much younger than that. And I still sometimes anger, but more sadness that I didn't have as much time as I thought I was going to have with my father. And I don't know what's more painful thinking that 
I'll never see him again because nothing happens after I die or if it's going to be a long, long time until I see him again. Both of those are painful in different ways. And that, that it doesn't go away. No. Like living your life without him here doesn't stop. There's no, there, you know, for as long as you're alive now um since you were 28 or, or had this realization like you will not hug him again you will not right right i won't have conversations with him like i'm sad that he's not gonna see me turn 30 and you know my mom would say well he knows and he sees and and that may be true but in a very real and tangible way i cannot share that with him and i won't for anything that happens next do you ever talk to him? Yeah. Yeah, I talk to him. And I imagine conversations. I imagine conversations. And I can see um, his expressions that he would make. Yes, he's very much alive with me. Very much alive with me. And I, I think that's important, though, is that, that the way in which he's alive with you doesn't um, make the pain go away either. Like they coexist. Yes. You continue to have your inner relationship with him, but it, it's, um, different. It's not like, you know, there's this concept of doing like a spiritual bypass in the count in counseling mm -hmm. lingo where it's like, we, we go too quickly almost to the spiritual side to try to avoid, feeling the like genuine painful right. stuff. And so I'm, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing that you are, you know, you're acutely aware of both. It's, it's back to the both and like you, your dad lives on inside of you and he's dead yeah. and he's going to be dead for the rest of your life. Yeah. He's, if I have children, he'll never meet them. All of the, all, all the stuff that I think about progressing in my life all the milestones all the milestones in. yes yeah he won't be there for them and that makes me sad yeah well and maybe to close it's that and you're sad because you love him and he loves you he loved you yeah yeah there was no doubt in my mind that he loved me. And for me, experiencing so much disconnection with my father throughout his life, that was the most healing gift that I could have had. It's just like that song, Nature Boy, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And as cheesy as that may sound, that has been profoundly true for me. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing some of these truths with me today, Savannah. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for giving me this opportunity. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. 
please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.